This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc hello everyone and welcome to slash film daily today is thursday january 11th 2024 on today's episode of the show we're going to be talking about the latest film and tv news my name is ben pearson i'm an editor at slashfilm.com and i'm joined on today's episode by slash film staff writer and box office analyst ryan scott Hey, everyone. How's it going? Ryan, uh, there is so much news to talk about that has happened over the past few days. Like, we, I was actually planning to do an episode on today's episode of the podcast about, um, like, the most anticipated movies of 2024. And I, I have to delay it to, I think, next Friday just because there's so much news that's happened. Like, we have to talk about this stuff now. So uh, thank you for, for jumping on. And uh, I, I especially wanted to talk to you uh, because the first story that we're going to talk about is a Star Wars story. I know that you're a big Star Wars guy. So The Mandalorian and Grogu is the name of a new Star Wars movie that was announced yesterday. Uh, John Favreau is going to be directing this, and uh, we don't really know much about it, uh, I guess, other than that. Um, but this is the first Mandalorian movie, like a full-fledged theatrical feature. Uh, what are your thoughts, Ryan? Um, I have a lot, uh, as you might imagine. Um, I had heard rumors about this for quite some time circulating, and it makes sense. I think the first thing you need to look at is, and I haven't seen this talked about a ton, but like the budget for these shows is crazy. Uh, the, the rumored budget for Andor was like $200 million for the first season. So like, if you're going to spend that money, and this property's already proven to be this popular like this specific iteration of it i it, it almost makes more sense to put that money into a movie even if it's not like a billion dollar box office hit because then it's you're still going to get some return on the investment like yes the mandalorian was needed to launch disney plus but i think disney plus now 
you know, that's not necessarily the only thing keeping people around. So I think, you know, heading, especially after a bit of a choppy third season, I think letting Favreau go, you know, cook in the movie kitchen again, you know, is a good idea here. So, hmm. um, that's interesting because I kind of had like the exact opposite <laughs> reaction where I was thinking, um, to me, it makes more sense to spend it on Disney Plus in order to keep those shows coming and keep that a sort of destination streaming service because the Marvel stuff t- just has not really worked out as well as, you know, Kevin Feige and, and the rest of the team hoped. Like th- that's been, I think they, he has specifically cited that as a reason why everything has become so diluted in the MCU. And we've now seen like the financial consequences of that in theaters with movies like the Marvels and Ant-Man and the Wasp and, and whatever, like the, the most recent uh, 2023 Marvel Studios slate. Um, so, you know, to me, it just it makes more sense to keep this stuff on on the small screen. And then, you know, aside from that, I just feel like Lucasfilm might be making a huge uh, miscalculation by bringing these characters to the big screen because I think a big part of the reason that movies like Barbie and Oppenheimer became, you know, these cultural juggernauts last year was because they were just movies that you could just go into fresh. And now I feel like even though John Favreau is a good director and like, I'm sure this movie is going to be, you know, high quality or whatever. I just feel like there's automatically a sense that you're behind if you haven't watched every season of the show. And like, you don't know who these characters are and what their history is and all this stuff. So I just feel like uh, Lucasfilm had a perfect opportunity here to reapproach the theatrical Star Wars experience with a completely fresh slate after the Skywalker saga ended. And the first thing that they're going to do out of the gate is making a, uh, telling a story that requires homework, essentially. I just, I feel like that's a giant mistake, but. uh, Well, right. And and look, don't get me wrong. There is that element to it, but I'm, but I'm also saying that if Lucasfilm's expectations are in line you know, with the, if they're not expecting this to be a billion dollar movie, I think like the because I think that what you want is positive optics, right? Like like what you want is the movie is good. People like the movie like you can't because I think like what's happened and this is no mystery is that like Lucasfilm has been paralyzed with indecision ever since what happened with The Last Jedi happened. Um, they have not known what to do next. I think that one, two hit of the last Jedi and solo just left them with like where every project that comes their way. I imagine there's like a pros and cons list that's made on this big whiteboard. And then they're just like, it's 50, 50 either way. And they're like, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is like, it feels safe ish, you know, like, like it feel, and especially because they have Dave Filoni's movie as well, which is also in the Mandalorian universe. So I think they're investing heavily in this. And my guess is you're going to, cause we, uh, you're going to, you're going to lead up to the Mandalorian and Grogu, which I think will pave the way for Filoni's movie. Mm-hmm. And they have the two movies currently on the release calendar for 2026. And I was initially very hard on that decision. But if what this ends up being is Mandalorian and Grogu on that May date, and then Filoni's movie in that December date, and you sort of close the Mandoverse on the big screen, I think that maybe works. Then you go to the other stuff. Maybe you sort of lean into this for a minute but I don't think that there's a everything that they could possibly do right now from a like well-rounded standpoint of like being creatively interesting and commercially safe has has there's no like right answer. And I agree with you that this is like 
yeah, there's some homework. Yeah, there's this. Yeah, there's that. But I, it's not hard for me to understand why they're doing it. Yeah, I just I really wish that they could have made the movie that first out of the gate could have been the film from Charmaine Obeid Chinoy, which is like the one that uh, or wait, is that the one that's the one with Daisy Ridley, right? That, that's not the one I was thinking of. I'm sorry. Yeah, because uh, that's James... the one with Daisy Ridley, which I thought was going to be the first to go. No, I, I, I misspoke. I'm sorry. James Mangold is doing the one that is about the earliest days of the Jedi. That's the one that I think. And they... there's no way there's yeah. no way like the, like because I think the thing is they they need something that they feel is safe right now. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think, and I understand that I completely understand that. Like after what happened with the sequel trilogy, like I'm not here to start a debate. I'm just saying that nobody would look at that situation and argue they hit it out of the park and, you know, the whole way through Yeah, just because of the reception. Like, I'm not saying that you, I, I'm not talking yeah. about the individual movies, but so I think that again, Lucasfilm that they're like, we need something safe here. I just, I wonder if it is safe. I wonder if it looks safe on paper, but like when people realize what this actually is and what it requires to go into it, you know, like understanding everything, if they're just going to be like, I've just spent the past 15 years of my life, you know, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like doing all this homework, paying attention, to all this stuff. I just don't have the time or interest to, you know, like, I wonder if people are just going to outright reject this. I know it's a popular character. Obviously it's going to have, you know, the, the folks who watch The Mandalorian and these shows religiously are going to show up to the movie no matter what. But like, how big of an audience really is that? Um, you know, I is that going to translate into theatrical success? I don't I don't know. Let's say the movie comes out in 2026. You're going to have Lucasfilm all this time, a Star Wars celebration, all this stuff to get people on board. And you can binge three seasons of a TV show easily. I think you're going to get like my mom, who is not like a big like TV Star Wars person, but is a huge star. She watched the first two seasons of The Mandalorian just because of the buzz. Like, so I think you're going to be able to get people the the chance to catch up. And I think they will. Like, I think and I think, again, I don't think this is a billion dollar movie. I think it, it, it let's say it can do 500 million. Let's just put that number out there. And <laughs> the budget is two, 200 million or below. Instead of spending that money purely on a TV show and and you and you get a very let's and let's assume Favreau makes a great movie. Like let's assume it's like Mandalorian season one good, but on the big screen. I think that then set okay, cool. We had like a you know, it's not a home run, but we hit a single. That's good. And then we can sort of build from there. I think maybe that's what Lucasfilm's trying to do. And then like if those go well, then that opens up the door for like James Mangold's thing to actually happen rather than like you start with that. And if that doesn't go well, then, then what? So, you know. Yeah. And like Favreau is obviously like a sure pair of hands, you know, he's, he's a, a sturdy director who knows what he's doing and has a great history uh, and, a, and a proven track record. So like all of that makes sense to me. I'm just like, yeah, I, I'm yeah, a little... his theatrical track record with Disney is difficult to ignore. Yeah. Um, Iron Man, which of course launched the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Jungle Book, which made just shy of a billion dollars, and for my money, is pretty damn good. And then uh, the Lion King, which remains one of the highest grossing movies of all time. Uh, so I mean, you know, tough to sort of look at his resume. And also, again, like let's be fair, John Favreau's owed a lot of credit for getting Disney Plus off the ground. Yeah. Oh yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, I just like Ryan, like on a personal level, you know, as somebody who is not invested in the Dave Filoni. Uh, corner of the Star Wars universe. I just kind of um, selfishly looked at the movies as like my refuge from that, like totally. you know, from all of that stuff. And now, you know, not only do we have a Dave Filoni movie that's coming that is going to 
you presumably wrap up the Mandalorian story or whatever. I was kind of annoyed already at that. And now I'm like doubly annoyed that John Favreau is making a Mandalorian movie because I'm like, Jesus Christ, just like, give me the movies. Let me have this thing. You know, you've got all these hours on Disney yeah. plus to spend going off and doing your little Mandalorian thing or whatever. Um, I, I just like, I personally find this like, uh, I don't know, disturbing as somebody who, you know, cared about star Wars movies as like, cultural events and and like these movies meant a little bit to me growing up like I, I enjoyed them always they were never like my thing um but I always just kind of like there's in my mind there was still like a sanctity to Star Wars movies even if several of them have not been great um and now it's just yeah like, it feels like it's being infected with tv stuff you I know? think so. I think what was tricky and other people have talked about this much more than I have but I think Star Wars used to kind of be one thing and I think Star Wars has become incredibly splintered. Um, Star Wars is no longer one thing. And especially with the conclusion of the Skywalker saga, it is now you have to decide what it is. Yeah. And I think Lucasfilm has not at all decided what it is. And I think the closest thing they have to a saga right now is what's going on with the Mandalorian stuff. Yeah. So, you know. Yep, we'll see how it all pans out. Uh, Ahsoka Season 2 was also officially announced as being in the works. Um, I, I don't really know if there's much to say on that front. Uh, Ryan, did you watch all of Ahsoka? Or are you caught up there? I did. Uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn is like, I'm trying to think of like a comparison in the way people obsess over things in like unhealthy ways, but like Thrawn's like that to me. Like I love Thrawn so much. And so getting to see him in live action, like, I don't think the show was altogether great, but like that to me was like, a, that was a moment to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I am convinced and I've said this and I'm happy to say it on record again, that what this is all building to is an adaptation of heir to the empire. I firmly believe Dave Filoni star Wars movie is just going to be called star Wars heir to the empire. That's what I believe is happening. Ahsoka said a lot of those pieces in place. So what I think is going to go on is 2025. You're going to have Ahsoka season two. Uh, 2026, the first chat, the first movie will be Mandalorian and Grogu. Then the end of 2026, you'll have Filoni's movie and that'll kind of close the Mandoverse. That's my, that's what I believe is we're, we're looking at. So what do you think happens after that? I mean, obviously those characters, I mean, whoever lives can go on and do other things, but I think you're sort of, because, it, because if you get through the air to the empire storyline, then that can kind of like be the bridge between that time between the end of the original trilogy and the sequels. Um, okay. And then you kind of are like, okay, this is sort of like, there was another power grab. It didn't work out. Maybe there's even some seeds of like, this is how Thrawn and other people influenced what happened in the sequel trilogy. Maybe you do some like retroactive, I don't want to say damage control, but maybe you fill in some holes that might be there, which, you know, people have already speculated with some yeah. stuff that's going on in the Mandalorian with cloning and blah, blah, blah. So, so I think that that, that closes that loop. Like, like Lucasfilm has shown a willingness for some things to end. And I think that. Th so you think, you think Mandalorian, like as a show will, and, and like all of those, I guess, spinoffs of that and, and those shows that sort of tie in together, like all of those shows will actually come to an end and they'll like start new things. It just, it's hard for me to imagine Disney and Lucasfilm actually putting an end to something that is you know successful for them yeah, but it's um, not saying those characters end it's not saying those characters don't do other things it's not saying they don't go they're not involved in other projects but i think the the 
like Dave Filoni, particularly being a, the chief creative officer at Lucasfilm now, let's not forget he's got a lot more say than he used to. Mm-hmm. He is a man who knows how to fill in gaps, but he also won't overfill them. You know, so like, you know, with Star Wars Rebels, he knew that that story was finite and you could only you only had so much runway. So he ended it at four seasons because that was when it needed to end. Mm-hmm. He took the Clone Wars right up to where you could take the Clone Wars. Like, so I think he's especially if you do Heir to the Empire, that's the story. Like, yeah. that, so I I believe that Dave Filoni, if it, you can say what you want about his storytelling and this and that but i think that that's something he is willing to end things when they need to end okay all right fair enough yeah um okay so i think we previously knew that uh david benioff and db weiss the creators of game of thrones well we obviously knew that they were attached to direct uh Star Wars movie. I think were they attached to direct a trilogy at one point? That was the that was one of those bold Lucasfilm announcements at one point. Like they're developing okay. a trilogy. Yeah. So I think even you know we've written about how that was supposed to be about like essentially the early days of the the Jedi, and now they've officially come out and and actually done like one of their first big interviews since the end of Game of Thrones because they have a new Netflix show coming out called Three Body Problem. It's an adaptation of a, a popular book. Uh, And they said to The Hollywood Reporter, we wanted to do the first Jedi, basically how the Jedi Order came to be, why it came to be the first lightsaber. Uh, And they actually wanted to call the movie the first Jedi. Um, Ryan Johnson was developing The Last Jedi around that same time when he committed to that title. They uh, realized that their title was destroyed. Um, But those two are friends or those, you know, Benny and Weiss and Ryan Johnson are friends. So I don't think there was any like bad blood or anything there. Uh, But um, Benny said, we had a very specific story idea in mind. And ultimately they decided they didn't want to do that. And we totally get it. It's their company and their IP, but we weren't the droids they were looking for. So uh, again, I'm not sure if we have like much to add here. I think the, the most notable thing about this is that they, initially wanted to call this movie the first Jedi, but um, do you have any, I guess, additional observations about this stuff, Ryan? It's amazing to me. I can't say this for certain, but it did feel like this is one of those things that seemed like a home run initially. And then like the final season of game of Thrones came out. Then it didn't go forward. I don't know. And and, and, and I, I don't, I don't, I didn't watch game of Thrones. I'm not here to, but then I think the other thing is that like they Lucasfilm liked the idea because they're letting James Mangold do it. Mm-hmm. Like that is exactly what James Mangold is doing. Yeah. So I wonder like how different their take on, on that period uh, was going to be, you know, compared to what Mangold's doing. I wonder if somebody will ever be able to get that information out of them because I don't know because it's like, but it, cause it's also like, you know, I think uh, especially Hollywood now is very reactionary, like reactionary, like, well, how was your last thing? And I think like that final season of Game of Thrones, you know, I mean, it, it was what it was. I think Mangold, he's been like, you know, uh, look, I the financial stuff with with Indiana Jones can't be pinned on him. But like, I think that he did the job he was asked to do and he made an Indiana Jones movie, damn it. You yeah. know, and before that was Ford versus Ferrari. Before that was, you know, Logan, like I think, I think I can see why Lucasfilm goes with that person, you know, yeah. like I, but, but, but I, I, so I don't know, but I'm with you. I think it all comes down to what's the take on that material, right? Like what is, so, and I think that the other thing with, with, cause there was a lot of talk of old Republic storytelling for a while. And, and there's been in the publishing side, there's, there's the old Republic, which I very much enjoy. 
it's this idea of getting away from familiar. And I think that's helpful to Lucasfilm right now, right? Because then you're not, you literally can't like shoehorn Skywalker stuff in there and all this yeah. stuff. And, and it's a, and as you mentioned, it's like a fresh jumping on point. There's no homework, yeah. you know? So I think that, that, that what, if, the, if they can launch storytelling in periods like that, I think that's appealing to them. Okay. From Star Wars to Star Trek, uh, there was news. I think this came out last night as well, that there's a new Star Trek movie in development. And this one comes from, uh, his name is Toby Haynes, is the director, and he is a British TV director who's done a bunch of episodes of Doctor Who. Doctor Who. He also directed six episodes of Andor, which I think is is notable for um, you know the, the sort of sci-fi space that they're occupying here with, with this new Star Trek movie. Um, he also uh, directed the episode of Black Mirror called USS Callister, which is a sort of a, a very Star Trek heavy influenced episode of that show. Um, so I believe the the assumption at this point is that uh, the uh, it's going to be set in the the Kelvin verse, the new um, the newer movies, the J.J. Abrams trilogy, like that same universe, but just take place years before the 2009 uh, Star Trek movie. So there's possibilities of that long talked about Star Trek four film that that will potentially close out this whole thing there's possibilities that that could still happen one day. They're not like saying outright that that's never going to happen because this new movie is going to be sort of a, a prequel or like a weird in-between quill, depending on how you, the, the, uh, <laughs> the, the chronology of the Star Trek franchise gets a little knotted when you start talking about alternate universes and Kelvin verse and all that kind of stuff. But uh, in any case, Toby Haynes is directing a new Star Trek movie and Seth Graham Smith, who is behind things like Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter. And uh, I think he wrote dark shadows. He also co-wrote the Lego Batman movie. Was uh, long attached to write and direct the flash as well. Yes. Yeah, definitely. One of the, the people who I think who stuck with that or who was attached to that for the longest before he eventually dropped out. Uh, he is going to be writing the screenplay for this. So um, again, we don't know much. We just know it's going to be taking place, you know, years before the 2009 star Trek. So uh, something to keep an eye on there. Um, curious to see. There have been almost <laughs> almost as many Star Trek movies that have been announced that never happened as Star Wars movies <laughs> that have been announced that never happened, it feels like. So uh, we'll see if this one actually makes it to the finish line. Um, okay, let's take a break and then we'll come back. We have a lot more news to talk about. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc Okay, Ryan, so 28 years later was also announced last night. So much news. It's just like cavalcade of news. It feels like because of the strikes and the holidays, everything was just sort of like buttoned up in Hollywood. And now, you know, that 
as soon as we turned the calendar into 2024, people had some meetings over the first few days of the of the year, and now all these announcements are coming out. So Danny yeah, Boyle, I had suspected January would be busy, but it's been it's been busy. Yeah, especially the past few days, it's been wild. So Danny Boyle and Alex Garland are reuniting for 28 years later, and not only that, but they hope to start a new trilogy with this. So. Um, I have an admission. I've never seen 28 Days Later or 28 Weeks Later. The fuck you say? (laughs) I know. Uh, I just somehow I miss these movies. And uh, I I believe 28 Days Later, I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere. I I remember like a year or two ago, really trying to track it down. And I just like could not find access to it without buying a Blu-ray or something. I still have my DVD copy because that's the way like I I, it's usually not streaming anywhere. Um, I don't know why that is. There must be some weird rights thing. Um, uh, I am uh, a noted fan of 28 uh, weeks later. Uh, Not as not as much love for that movie. And I boy, do I like that movie. Uh, There there is a like all time favorite zombie movie scene in that movie. Um, I like both a lot. But but uh, yeah, 28 weeks later, I'm I'll, I'll go to bat for pretty frequently. OK, that's good to hear. I, I've not heard great things about that movie, movie honestly, but uh, but I'm happy to hear that that it uh, has a champion in you anyway. Um, Danny Boyle and Alex Garland, I'm big fans of both of these guys. Uh, they collaborated on this first the first movie in this um, now franchise, I guess over 20 years ago, like 2002 is when yeah. 28 days later came out. So um, what do you think about the idea of them getting back together, you know, all these years later and then potentially, you know, using this new movie to kick off a new trilogy, if that works Did out. you, did you read the Hollywood reporter story? Uh, no, I didn't. So uh, the thing that struck me the most is like, yeah, it's great that they're reuniting for the, they want $75 million budgets. Uh, and, and I'm like, Okay. Uh, like that was the thing that sort of caught me where I was like, that's a lot for a zombie flick, um, particularly like a sequel to a movie 20 years after the fact. So that was the and I'm sure nobody that listens to this podcast regularly leads to, you know, a reminder that I am sort of all about, uh, you know, not setting yourself up for failure. Um, that to me almost like guarantees this goes to a streamer. Like, just because I, oh, I, man, that would be such a bummer. Well, I'm not saying, but streamers are doing more theatrical releases now. Like it, it, Amazon prime video is going to put that in theaters, but they're not banking on it, like profiting in theaters. So right. I, I'm saying that, like, I think that might be because at that budget level, you got to make 200 million, you know, worldwide probably to, you know, have, have a shot. So, um, but I also think what's cool about that is that means they're going big, right? Like they're like trying to make a big ass movie, which is. Um, it was funny for a long time, they were going to do like 28 months later. And like, this is drug on so long that that now doesn't make any sense. Um, Mm -hmm. so I like that. Uh, but I'm all for this. I I think Danny Boyle, when, when Danny Boyle's firing on all cylinders, he's about as good as, as good as they come. And, uh, Alex Garland, um, as a director, you know, uh, I love Annihilation, love Ex Machina, didn't love men, but yeah, uh, you know, as a screenwriter is, again, as bad as good as they come. So I'm like, hell yeah, let's do this. Yeah, it looks like the budget for Annihilation was like between 40 and 55 million. I'm seeing several reports. Yeah, Um, that was around there. I couldn't find one for men, um, but it it had to be a little bit less than that. But yeah, men must have been less than that. But yeah, yeah, 75 for these movies. So 75 each. Is that what they were saying or 75 that's what total I, that, that's the way that i read it like i i, I could be um 
I mean, look, hey, 75 for a trilogy now, or that'd be great. But I don't, <laughs> that's not what it read like to me. Yeah. Um, my guess is they're both looking to get paid. Yeah. You know, like, but, but, you know, and also what it seems like right now is in the aftermath of some of what's happened, it looks like some of these filmmakers are, are sort of like, what seems safe? Like, you know, what, what can we get a surefire hit out of? Uh, it, it yeah, and like, like what will studios greenlight, you know, like what, you right. know, everybody, we're, we're in this like IP obsessed era, we have been for a long time, but just like the idea that, you know, at least they have something, some sort of um, runway that previously existed. So like, you could point to comps, and you could point to a history, and you can point to a familiarity, and you can point to like, as you, you like to say, you know, down the road, kind of like, uh, options of like, you know, bundling eventual DVD releases or, or physical media releases together. And, and you know, there still is some money in that um, in that revenue stream or whatever. So like you could repackage these things and try to like reintroduce them to new audiences that way. So like there there are ways to sort of capitalize on this if, if the studios play it right. So yes. So just um, to be clear, here's what the Hollywood Reporter says. Boyle is attached to direct the first installment. Garland would write all three. The budget for each movie would be in the $75 million range. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I don't know. I mean, I hope they get it because I hope that that means that that they'll be able to just like, yeah, play in a, a bigger sandbox. Oh, I'm all for sandbox, it, but just but... in the right situation. Like what I don't want is like A24 who is now trying to get into like franchise filmmaking to be like, yeah, we'll put up $75 million for each of these and hope for the best. Like I just hope it's like someone – that like no that can like like again prime video to me is is the place for this like that you know that that because they'll give it a theatrical release but then also they'll they'll then just you know they'll then yeah. put it on prime video and it can make it yeah we don't movie. want uh, an exorcist believer uh, scenario on a smaller scale basically no we do not <laughs> um okay so let's talk about another horror property which is uh, david bruckner the director of the most recent hellraiser movie is going to be remaking a horror classic called the blob have you ever seen The Blob, Ryan? I saw The Blob when I was very young, and I haven't seen it in years. But I'll tell you the weirdest memory I have of The Blob. When I when I was very young in my uh, grade school, had these black and white like books that were about classic monster movies, and it had like actual stills from the movies. And that was mm-hmm. actually some of my early like Godzilla and monster movie love. And there was a Blob book. And, and I and I remember that uh, oddly enough, and so That's that was cool. a it's a very odd thing that like connects me to the Blob. But yeah, I've never seen any adaptation of the Blob. I feel like it's been made a couple times, or at least may, maybe sequelized or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, there's there's the original. Um, there's then I think in 1976 called Beware the Blob was the sequel, and then there's the 1998 the Blob, which is the one that most people like the most. Yeah. So uh, David Bruckner is the director behind movies like The Signal. He also was part of the VHS franchise and he made uh, 2020's The Night House, which a lot of people really enjoyed. Um, So I I don't know, like you're more in the horror space than I am, Ryan. Do you feel like Bruckner is like a good fit for this kind of story? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Like, but also like I was doing doing some digging. Um, Man, apparently they've been trying to do this for a long time. I saw back in 2009, Rob Zombie had signed on. And then uh, back in 2015, uh, who directed Con Air? Um, oh, Simon West? Simon West was developing, and, and Samuel L. Jackson was apparently attached to star in it. Wow. Um, so, like, so, and this was all slash film reporting from years back, but, but, uh, but yeah, so, like, so apparently this has been kicking around for a while, but, uh, 
it sounds like this is relatively early because um, Bruckner is going to write and direct. And because of the strike, he couldn't have been working on this for long. So, yeah. um, you know, nobody's. Att- so, I mean, but I like the idea a lot. Like, and I, I um, especially because he tends to go practical with stuff. And I think like, like a, 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 a an overly CGI blob would be kind of boring, but if you do practical where it's, it's practical to do so. Yeah. Um, and like really gross. Like, I think that could be cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm all for it. Like, why not? Yeah. I need to see the first movie, the 58 movie. Cause Steve McQueen was in that. Um, and he so... was, that was one of his first movies. I, you know, I also, I feel like through this podcast, there's been this like emerging potential podcast for you and me of like, we just make each other watch movies we haven't watched. And every time yeah. the other person yells at the other person for like, you haven't seen that. We just, we just watch them. <laughs> yeah. We got, we got quite a list going, I'm sure. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, the next story that I wanted to mention real quick is the avatar sequels are about to resume filming for, I believe the fourth movie, I think is what they're, or maybe avatar three. I'm sorry. Avatar three is the one that they're, still filming although james cameron has shot footage from seemingly every single one of these movies at, at some point already um, can you imagine that production bible god like, just i like, mean just oh my god and like the editors who have to keep track of what what footage goes with what movie and all of that I and mean, it just seems like yeah such a you know there's got to be like full-time teams devoted to just that um so uh yeah anyway the the fourth film um, which again, we don't know what the, what the, uh, title of that is going to be, but the fourth film evidently is going to feature a six year time jump, which makes sense because there's a lot of obviously young characters in the avatar movies now, as we saw in avatar, the way of water. And, uh, these movies are being made very slowly and obviously these kids are growing. So we don't want a, a stranger things scenario here. Um, so I believe, uh, Cameron has said there's going to be a six year a time jump and then the the story resumes after that so they're returning to start filming um i think this coming month uh and they're going to sort of knock out all the stuff before the time jump happens and then after the third movie is released cameron plans to regather the cast and resume the story after that six year time jump so it's hard for i don't want to say i feel bad for them but like sam worthington's always held on to these main actors like Man, like what a tie! Because like the, the what the four, the fifth one is supposed to is not scheduled till what twenty twenty nine or something. Yeah, it's something absurd like twenty thirty. Yeah. Like they are, you know, like just to like you are anchored. Like you you cannot like you can't wriggle out of this. And yeah. like and and so it's like again, I'm not saying like they're gonna make more money than like anyone I'll ever see in my entire life. Then you could even fathom like you could steal money every waking hour for the rest of your life and not make as much money as they're going to make. But, but like, man, just like the ability, the inability to like really do other, I mean, Sam Worthington has had a career certainly, but I think like this is his calling card. Whereas like Zoe Saldana's, you know, could do kind of anything she wants. And yeah. I'm not saying they won't have time to do some stuff in between here, but it feels like this is, this is going to take just the, the dominant part of their time over like this decade because yeah i mean it's it's going to be like the thing that they're that they're known for and that like yeah essentially defines their entire adult lives just because of the the sheer um length the amount of time that it's going to take to complete this whole thing yeah and you got to especially after that final press cycle like you got to imagine that they're like they're going to be good sports about it of course but like you got to think privately they'd just be like oh my god i'm done with this blue suit crap (laughs) like just like you know they're just so I don't know. I mean, I just I do. That is the thought because I'm not 
I, I think the most crap I've ever gotten on this podcast was my uh, Avatar The Way of Water spoiler discussion, uh, which I event- <laughs> at one point checked out of because I just didn't like the movie very much. But, um, <laughs> so I, I, I shall refrain from talking about Avatar a whole lot. But I, uh, yeah, that's the main thought for me. Yeah. Um, so we have a couple more things to mention real quick. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie, which we don't know what the title of that is going to be, but uh, that's going to be filming in California this year. And uh, the cast, part of the cast anyway, it's supposed to be a, b- a big ensemble story. Part of the cast has been announced and that is going to include Leonardo DiCaprio, Regina Hall and Sean Penn. So that's kind of awesome. Um, we know if I may, that- hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Deadline reported, they they said, quote, we have learned that it is a contemporary setting and it is the most commercial one PTA has attempted with commensurate budget. Not exactly sure what they mean by commensurate budget, like commensurate to what? Um, Well, I think if you're if you're saying again, I don't know, but if you're doing like, okay, a a commercial story, like let's say it's like a born type thriller you know where it's like there's action and i'm not saying that's what he's doing but i'm saying there's going to be a certain budget that goes with that yeah you know it's not some small scale like people talking in a cafe indie movie yeah i see yeah that's interesting i I was thinking more along the lines of like he's making a contemporary movie so it might not be as expensive as some of his other stuff because i think previously he's made largely um period pieces oh that's true those are typically more expensive but um but yeah it's probably a a combination of both of those i don't think with the cast he's putting together this is going to be a cheap movie like i i don't like that's although people do love working for him and working with him and and you know there's like he he has that sort of status in hollywood that like he does you know actors will like throw themselves to you know do anything to work with this guy he definitely has a bit of a wes anderson thing in that way for sure um because that's how asteroid city was able to come in at the budget it was because everyone was like i'll just take whatever to go do the movie but yeah um i don't know if dicaprio is gonna do that but like but yeah i i but it also is telling that like dicaprio is doing it right like that's like for him to i don't know i'm i'm curious like i i uh i I, i'm with you i don't know what that means like what is what is what is commercial paul thomas anderson look like yeah, very curious to see because uh, he's, I mean, I guess like maybe Boogie Nights is probably like his most commercial thing. And that's about like the underground porn scene, right? So like that's even that is not like the most, um, I don't know, like the easiest sell to mainstream America. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see like what what sort of like pivot this is for him um, creatively. Yeah, especially because like it'd be hard to call Phantom Thread super commercial. Yeah, um, no, like, it's definitely uh, not. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I'm fascinated with what's going to happen here. Uh, okay, so the final story is that uh, Tom Cruise has signed a deal with Warner Brothers to um, develop and, and produce and star in movies. So um, this is kind of surprising to me because uh, of everything that Warner Brothers has done over the past few years. But as you mentioned in your write-up of this, Ryan, like David Zaslav, say what you will about the guy, and I will and continue. I have and, and will continue to say <laughs> terrible things about him because as that's what should. he's <laughs> deserving. Uh, he has has certainly committed to actually releasing movies in movie theaters. Um, so presumably that is part of the reason why Cruz was, um, was attracted to this deal with Warner Brothers. So... Um, I guess hit me with the the uh, major talking points of what we need to know about this. Yeah, so we're so so it is a not exclusive deal. Like Cruise is not exclusively stuck at Warner Brothers, uh, so he can still make Mission Impossible movies at Paramount. He can still like I, I and it doesn't. The wording of it was that it's not a traditional first look deal, 
So I don't know what that means exactly, but it probably still functions like a first look deal is my guess, which means let's say Cruz and his production company are developing a movie that for Warner brothers would have what's called right of first refusal, where you would go to them and be like, Hey, like this is what we're doing. And if Warner brothers doesn't want it, you can take it somewhere else. Uh, I don't know that that, again, it's not supposedly not structured exactly like that, but Tom Cruise is going to have offices at Warner brothers. So my guess is this is a pretty serious marriage here. Mm -hmm. Like they have very strong intentions. Um, No specific projects were named, but uh, Warner brothers made edge of tomorrow. So I think this bodes well for the chances of edge of tomorrow too. Yeah, that Um, would be great. Finally. uh, I think I, I, and they did mention that they like one of the quotes was like, yeah, like he will work in franchise stuff that we have. So you have to look, okay, well, what franchises does Warner brothers have? And, speculate as you will but i i would be shocked if he's not sitting in james gunn's office here in the next few months i was gonna uh, ask you about that so I, I you know obviously like the first thing that people probably think of is like franchises to you know like continuing stories that he has done because of like the success of uh, top gun maverick right like the idea of finally coming back and doing edge of tomorrow too um that kind of thing but yeah the, the franchises that are you know that exist under warner brothers umbrella includes the dc stuff and and uh i was curious if you thought that like there was a chance that that james gunn might be able to lure tom cruise into the superhero sphere um at some point in the next few years i think tom cruise is more committed to saving like there's tom cruise christopher nolan there's a couple guys that are like deeply committed to saving the theatrical experience and i think like tom cruise like saving warner brothers but like if he could like make the dc universe work like if he i I don't know i bet there's an angle in that for him right like him being like because like superhero cinema is not on certain ground right now yeah and if he could help like launch james gunn's larger plans and be a part of it i i think the the issue for cruz is that he's not really been a guy but but he's willing to like with mission impossible he's shown a willingness to like be the same character over and over again so it's not impossible for me to imagine um i don't know what it would be like, as I don't think you want to cast a 60-year-old actor as, like, a, you know, 30-year-old superhero. So I don't know what he would do. But it, it's it's a, it's very... it's I'd say the, the conversations are absolutely going to happen. Whether or not anything comes of it, I don't know. Yeah, I just... I find it hard to believe that Cruz would be interested in taking, like, a Samuel L. Jackson in Marvel type of role. Where he's, like, you know, the, the glue that pops up in a supporting role in a bunch of different things. And, you know, is, like, the the grizzled veteran who, you know, dispenses advice to the up and coming hotshots or whatever. It just does not feel like Tom Cruise is at that stage of his career. No, but um, also let's not forget. This is also like uh, he doesn't necessarily have to star in these movies. He can produce these movies. That's true. You know, so, so like there, there's, you know, and then if you have Tom Cruise producing a thing that opens up a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm personally hoping that this means that he, this, this might be a pivot toward him doing something that, you know, we've talked about in the past, which is like, him maybe like drilling down on getting back into like non mission impossible uh, sort of adults, the types of movies that he used to make basically in like the nineties and early two thousands. I would love to see a full on return to, you know, that, that, um, that tone, that pitch of filmmaking 
from Tom Cruise. That would be like, it would thrill me to no end to have him like working with a bunch of new directors. And, and uh, you know, even if they're like Warner Brothers staple directors, you know, people who have contracts with Warner Brothers, like, like I would just, you love know, Ben to Affleck see. directing Tom Cruise in like a, you know, like a, a, a drama thriller type thing. Give like, it you to know, me whatever. right now. Yes, exactly. Right. exactly. That's what I'm, that. I'm like, as soon as I said it, I'm like, oh shit, I need this. Um, but, uh, but, <laughs> But yeah, like I think because I think the thing is like those Warner Brothers has been one of the best studios at investing in like those adult type movies that aren't particularly doing very well right now. And I think maybe that's something they'd like to continue to do, but in a way that is commercially viable. And if you have Tom Cruise in the movie, it kind of almost automatically is that in some way. So I think that might open the door for some of that stuff for sure. Yeah, that would be great. So um, yeah, fingers crossed. And and, uh, I think I know that he and Chris McQuarrie have talked about Macquarie wanting to make a smaller scale movie, you know, outside of the Mission Impossible universe. So like maybe the fact that Cruise is setting up shop at Warner Brothers will provide a window and, and an opportunity for um, the two of them to be able to collaborate on that. I, I know that like uh, Cruise has, Macquarie has been like Cruise's guy for a long time. And like personally, I would love to see him sort of branch out from uh, away from Macquarie a little bit just to like... Um, spread his wings a little and, and sort of like see what else he can do with different directors and what other directors can do with him and like put him in different modes and all, all sorts of stuff. But uh, if that's not going to happen, and it seems like it's not because those two have, have struck up such a strong partnership over the years, then at least I would love to see them make different movies together, you know, different than Mission Impossible. So I love the Mission Impossible movies, don't get me wrong, but I just want to see more from Cruise and maybe this deal will be a way for that to actually happen. So uh, okay, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on the show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Don't forget to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. I also would love it if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That helps us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show any way you can. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc